This morning I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit uncaged. Amen. So it is January 11th, 2015. The message is the Holy Spirit uncaged. All through the worship service, I had this scripture on my mind. I whispered it into the ear of Mario Clement because with a resurrection miracle in his life this week, I thought it might be special to him. This is John, the 11th chapter and the 40th verse. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? How many of you are seeing as much glory as you can handle? How many of you say, please, no more glory. I can't take it. How many of you are saying, dear God, save me from the overwhelming glory that's been revealed to me? Yeah, it's very quiet in the house of God today. We're not seeing all the glory that we can see because we're not believing on all we can believe on. Let's put, let's put the burden where it falls. It falls upon us. God has not limited himself. He did not go into retirement. The mighty power of the Holy Spirit is just as available today as he has ever been. And he is proving it in our midst, helping us overcome our unbelief. Somebody say it's going to be a good service. I studied a condition this week called myotonia. Because I am seeking the greater healing gifts. I am seeking earnestly desiring with all of my heart the greater things. Myotonia. Myo in Greek is muscle. Tonus is tension. There is a tension that overcomes the muscular system with people that have myotonia. It's a symptom of a handful of certain neuromuscular disorders characterized by paralysis in a moment of fight or flight. Why am I seeking the greater healing gifts? Because I believe the church suffers from myotonia. I think that we are often scared to the point of fainting. I think we're often paralyzed in the moment of what should be glorious power. And as I began to look into my Atonia, I was surprised at what I found. I want to show you a YouTube clip. This YouTube clip might put a smile on your face until you realize that it's about you. I'm going to tell you it's okay to laugh at yourself sometimes. Goats, the earliest known domesticated farm animal. Today there are more than 400 million of them worldwide. Then there's this little guy. He doesn't get the attention of, say, the more fashionable Angora goat. He's a fainting goat, and he's got a different talent. Lisa Johnson breeds goats in Florida. These goats are called myotonic goats. Many people call them fainting goats, wooden leg goats, stiff leg goats, nervous goats, the Tennessee goats, uh, Tennessee meat goats. So they just have all kinds of nicknames for them. They carry the hereditary gene for myotonia congenita. What happens is that when the goat is startled or excited, it causes a very temporary stiffening of the muscles. And when the muscles relax, after a few seconds, the goat jumps up and runs on its way. They don't call them feigning goats for nothing. It can even be something as simple as being excited over being fed. The adult animals um, typically... um, 
they keep their balance better, and what they will end up doing is uh, pretty much bracing on four legs. While it might seem easy to make fun of the fainting goat, there are scores of breeders who love them just the way they are. Let me ask you, does anybody in the room want to be defined as a goat? Does anybody in the room want to be defined, if you are a goat, among the myotonic goats? No real danger. Man opens an umbrella and the herd falls out. Legs stiff, can't move, will not act. I bet they're open to action. I bet they intellectually agree that action is probably necessary. But in the moment of action, they simply fall over and wait to be devoured. C.T. Studd lived in the 1850s. He died in the 1930s. He wrote about this disorder. On the first page of a book that he titled Chocolate Soldier, and somebody else who didn't like the title retitled Heroism, the Lost Chord of Christianity, you find these words. Heroism is the lost chord, the missing note of the present-day Christianity. Every true soldier is a hero. Every soldier without heroism is a chocolate soldier who has not been stirred to scorn and mirth at the very thought of a chocolate soldier. In peace, true soldiers are captive lions, fretting in their cages. War gives them their liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the great attempt. Battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns him to, to, to a stooping asthmatic. War makes him a whole man again and gives him the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. He goes on to say, every true Christian is a soldier of Christ, a hero par excellence, braver than the bravest, scorning the soft seductions of peace and her oft-repeated warnings against hardship, disease, danger, and death, whom he counts among his bosom of friends. The otherwise Christian is a chocolate Christian, dissolving in water and melting at the smell of fire. Little sweeties, they are bonbons and lollipops, living their lives on a glass dish or in a cardboard box, each clad in his soft clothing, a little frilled white paper to preserve his dear, delicate constitution. To the chocolate Christian, the very thought of war brings a violent attack of illness. While the call to battle always finds him with palsy. He says, I really cannot move. He says, I only wish I could, but... God never was a chocolate manufacturer. And he never will be. Men of God are heroes. The scripture is replete with them and you can trace their giant footsteps through the deeds of the men in the Bible. We live in a day where we have exalted our beliefs so far above our actions that we lie to ourselves. What we believe shows up in the way that we act, friends. How many of you believe that Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 are true? 
Oh, I want to tell you it's okay. You can speak in church. It'll be just fine. Larissa, tell the people around you that you can speak in church. You can speak in church. Nobody's going to hurt you. There's nothing that says that you have to go into recipient mode and just sit and soak. You've just been trained to do it through the years. The 12th chapter of Romans contains an extraordinary statement. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Keith Green once famously said, the problem with the living sacrifice is it's always trying to worm off of the altar. We can say that we believe this verse is true, but in the moment of sacrifice, do we shrink back? Do we ever allow ourselves to come to the moment of sacrifice? Or do we keep ourselves in a theologically protected blanket, like a little chocolate confectionery? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. How many of you had a good worship service today? Oh, how we love to sing the hymns. But a spiritual act of worship is when you become a living sacrifice. You cannot be a living sacrifice without sacrifice. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This world is trying to mold you into a neat little confectionery. They don't mind Christians who believe in the power of God. They don't mind Christians who, who say the Bible is true. They don't mind Christians who say the devil is wrong. They mind Christians who act like those things are true. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on, say be transformed. Be transformed. If you could hear this one point, if you could really get this one point down in your soul, it will change your life forever. We live in a generation that the movie Matrix became a cult classic too. Poor guy eats a pill and finds out that he's not a Duracell battery anymore. A strange movie. But apparently if you kick enough people in the face, people will buy tickets to watch that movie. Two very odd Jewish brothers made these movies. It's almost like eternity is bound up in their heart and in every story they tell, somewhere it comes out. But it's a perverted and twisted version because they're perverted and twisted men. When we say renew the mind, if I had you to define that, renew the mind, before you walked in here today, I imagine no matter how you wrote it, the way that you would apply renewing the mind had something to do with emptying it out of sinful thoughts. Uh, I imagine that it had something to do with trying to sanctify or set it apart for God. To empty a garbage can does not mean to transform a garbage can. To clean out a house is to not transform a house. This kind of renewing takes an actual transformation in your mind. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not take a lost man's mind and fill it with good thoughts. He totally transforms that mind. You have been taught that there are rules. You've been taught by guys like Newton that these rules cannot be moved. 
It's been reinforced in our day to the point that we believe that science is God. But we serve the God who created everything and He bends rules at His pleasure. What does it mean to renew your mind? Well, by the time you get to the book of Corinthians, Paul says this in a slightly different way. In 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 16, he says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Somebody say, that's better than new. That's not getting a mind that you didn't kill the brain cells in in your teenage years smoking something you shouldn't have smoked. That's not a mind that you didn't drink to death. See, we think of renewing the mind as giving us back our intellectual prowess. We think of renewing the mind as freeing it from nasty thoughts. Renewing the mind is to have the same mind that Christ had working in Him, working in you. Tell me, can any of you dare to say that you have actually got the thoughts of Christ? And if you do have the thoughts of Christ, how do we walk past the lost and the dying? How do we walk past those who are in need of healing? See, our minds have not been renewed to the extent they should be renewed. We have accepted things around us we do not have to accept. We've basically said if we can just clean the place up, it'll be worth living in. But God has called for a transformation. A transformation that He's opening my eyes to. And I pray now that He would open your eyes to the transformation. I'd like to point out a couple of scriptures to you that you may not have seen in this way. Let me first say that Christ was not myotonic. He never fainted in the face of danger or perceived danger or excitement. He pressed into the Father's will. He knew the Father's thoughts. He didn't just have a clean mind. He had a transformed mind. He had the mind of God Himself. We believe God can do anything. And we say it and we say it and we say it. And that insulates us from the searing truth that He wants to do it through us. Oh, I believe He can do it. Then step up and do it. Well, um, I mean, if He wants me to, I will. Are you now indicting God? In the 12th chapter of Acts, listen to this familiar story. It's the 13th verse. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Listen to their response. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Can anybody tell me what is so hypocritical about this? They're inside praying for Peter's release, but their minds have never conceived of the fact that God is actually releasing Peter. In fact, they felt better about it simply praying it. In this way, their prayer is so laced with unbelief. 
that it's a wonder God could work, but hear me, he did. God was not moved by their prayer. He was moved by his will that he wanted accomplished. They prayed and did not expect it to happen. They simply felt better by saying they prayed. Oh, brother, I I don't feel well today. Would you pray for me? Oh, yes, yes, I'll pray for you. Most of the time, it's a lie to start with. Secondly, if you really have the mind of God, determine in that moment, does God want him to be healed or not? And then if he does want him to be healed, keep knocking until the door opens. Oh, man, keep knocking until the door opens. Well, if God wanted the door open, he would just open it. He already opened the prison door. Should he have to open the door that Rhoda is standing at? Sometimes we've given up before we've knocked. And if we've knocked once, we didn't knock enough. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? It was a legitimate question. In Luke 18, he asked a legitimate question. Well, he'll find it neatly defined in church's doctrinal statements. But will he find it in the actions of the saints? In Acts 26, look at this one. It's verse 22. We have Paul on trial before Festus. Festus was the Roman governor of Judea. He had been appointed emperor by Nero. In Acts 26, 22. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. You don't understand, Paul. We believe they said it would happen. We just didn't believe that it would happen. That the Christ would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Wow, was Paul speaking in faith? Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray that... I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. He didn't care whether it took minutes, hours, days, or years. He was committed to it. And it was not just that Festus would be converted. It's that everybody who heard his voice would be converted. Oh, you're out of your mind, Paul. Don't you understand their free will? Don't you understand their role in all of this? Are you going to tell me he didn't? Of course he understood it. His trust in God caused him to look at the world and not calculate based on failure. He calculated based on trust in Almighty God. So he could look at Festus and say, I'm not out of my mind. I'm just in the mind of Christ. Oh my goodness. 
Were Rhoda and Paul out of their minds? Maybe so. Maybe they were out of their minds and in the mind of Christ. To expect conversion. To expect prison doors to come open. Does this make me out of my mind or just out of your mind? We say we're spirit-filled people as long as the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything in us. What we mean when we say we're spirit-filled people is He can move through somebody somewhere. When is the last time you laid your reputation along with Jesus on the fact that God would move not someday but now? When is the last time you daringly took a public stand and said, yes, Festus, not only you, but everybody else hearing, you still don't understand how big my trust in God is. You know, if we never venture into the deep waters, we will never see the wonders. In John 20, starting in the 21st verse, we have a setting where the 11 are behind locked doors. And the king of glory shows up to speak to them. And in the 21st verse, he says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. Where has God sent you? Where did Jesus show up and send you? I hope he sent you to this church to start with, but let me tell you a secret. I'm already saved. Where did he send you? When can you say you had an encounter with the Almighty God where you not only found out you were chosen, but you were given a task? Most Christians are content to sit their entire life without ever knowing that they have a task. And they wonder why they have purposeless lives. God has a purpose for our lives. But if you stop with the knowledge that God has the purpose without you understanding what the purpose is, you have stopped short. Oh, that you would know why He put you on the planet and get busy doing it. The problem is not that there's not a big enough harvest. It's that there's not enough who understand it's harvest time. They don't work in it. If they do understand it, they acknowledge it, but they don't work the harvest. Now that's fine as long as I'm talking about they. But when have you seen a convert? When have you seen a healing? Well, we watched you pray for one. We watched Pastor Wade pray for one. We know that if Brent prays for you, it'll ha- when have you? Because there's not a dime's difference between the two of us. We both need our minds renewed. And when you have the mind of Christ, He will show you what He wants done. And a pretty good clue... It'll be impossible to your natural mind. He will put you in situations where you stare at the intellectually elite that have told you for certain death is the only outcome and it will come quickly. And he will put a big smile on your face and say you're working within the limits of what you understand. I am not limited by your understanding. I am empowered by a revelation from on high. This child will not die. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
I'd have you breathe on each other, but I'm not sure that everybody would be breathing the Holy Spirit on each other. It might just be halitosis. I love ministering in the third world because they read a scripture like this and one of my brothers who I love dearly hadn't brushed his teeth this year. But he doesn't let his inadequacy keep him from acting out things that are done based on the mind of God and not his mind and he will jump right in your face and blow in your face. Personally, that's never been my thing. Neither do I spit on people, at least not intentionally, Chloe. But Jesus did both. What have you reasoned right out of possibly being the action that causes God to move? Have you noticed how dignified our church services have become? Have you noticed how tame the Lion of Christ seems to be to the world? Don't you dare upset the followers of a pedophile prophet. Don't you dare draw a cartoon that shows that they're followers of Satan. Even if they... Good Lord, the French... The French are announcing to the world that Islam is evil. The Canadians are announcing to the world that Islam is evil. And the great American church hides in cowardice. We need God's breath. We need His mind. You can walk into Renouche Cafe and you find Jordanians and Iraqis and Egyptians. I was there the other night and one of our brothers was playing cards with them. And there's some very quiet Christians grossly outnumbered by the Muslim community that frequents the place. And you won't find a single Caucasian in the bunch. In prison, they say white is weak. They're wrong. It's just scared. It's not weak. It's just scared. Fear is an enemy of faith. Fear is such an enemy of faith and we are so crippled with it that we need Jesus to breathe on us. Do you know where he breathed on them? Where they were hiding. If he was going to send them, something had to change. Do you have the mind of Christ and you're hiding it? Or do you just not have it? In Luke 24, 45, we get a different result from the very same meeting and the very same action. The setting is exactly the same. It's Jesus speaking to the 11. It's Jesus speaking to the 11 after the resurrection and immediately prior to the ascension. And in Luke 24, 45, he says that then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. How did he open their minds? He breathed on them. The Holy Spirit will bring you to an understanding if your fear does not so cage you and cripple you that he cannot work through you. The Holy Spirit will bring a hero from within. The Holy Spirit will cause mighty acts of valor, not for someone else, for you. Somebody say, me. 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 I want it too, Lord. 
It's not enough to say that you speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues but you hide like a coward, then what good is it? You might be edified, but nobody's getting saved from it. If you prophesy like a hero, as long as there's no danger. Well, that's great as long as we're in the aquarium instead of the sea. Oh, man, that we might risk something for our king. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice is risking it all, all of the time, because his glory is worth it. May our minds be open this morning to the impossible. May we not suffer from chocolate soldier paralysis in the face of war. May we not be guilty of myotonic goat syndrome. Why is it funny that they fall down? It's funny that they fall down because nothing's actually eating them. Let me ask you, despite all of the devil's best attempts to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, are you still here? then you've not been devoured. Why fear? Your very existence is proof that fear is a lie. Your very existence is proof that fear is the product of your mind and not God's, and you need yours renewed. Oh, somebody say amen. Amen. I might hurt your feelings, but I hurt mine a long time before I hurt yours. I want you to think on the testimony of the Scripture I want you to begin to contemplate something besides what you can calculate and what you can see. In 2 Kings 6.6, we're not going there. I want to just tell you some things to contemplate on. In 2 Kings 6.6, iron floats. Now, where does that fit in the natural order of things? In 2 Kings 6.6, at the command of a servant of God, iron floats. Somebody say that's impossible. But apparently you were wrong. In 1 Kings 17, 1, hydro meteorological movements, rain, are manipulated by a man. We don't even have men that can tell us when it's going to rain, much less men that can stop the rain or command it to start. Why? Because we're operating out of our minds instead of God's. Do you think Elijah woke up one morning and said, Oh man, I'm tired. I shouldn't have stayed up watching that sitcom last night. After I stop and get some donuts, uh, maybe I'll spend a few minutes reading my Bible. And while I'm reading my Bible, I'll make sure to get a good selfie and put it on Facebook. And then while he's basking in the opulence of his own fleshly desires, said, you know what I want to do? I want to go put my faith on the line before the entire king, uh, the the entire kingdom, the, the king of the nation, and in a way that it is not possible to fake. I, I know... I know what my flesh wants to do today. My flesh wants to go announce to the king of the kingdom who is presently being ministered to by the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth that God is using me right now, my command, my voice to shut up the heavens. I'm sure he woke up that that morning with that thought in his natural mind. Are you kidding me? 
How terrified would you be if tomorrow you had to stand in the Oval Office and you would announce to the United States of America that it would not rain except at your word? How long would you debate with God? You would debate with God until it no longer existed in your mind. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Oh man, if we could begin to believe. When we begin to believe, even the weather systems can be manipulated. Did you know that kings can come from prostitutes? In Judges 11, we have a man named Jephthah. He rules Israel for a time and his mama was a whore. He didn't go on the Dr. Phil program and talk about the ravages of his childhood. He didn't explain to the whole world that he was incapable because of someone else's actions. He began to believe that God had ordained him for a task and promised his entire future to the kingdom of God. Did you know that in Matthew 1, the fifth verse, and in Joshua 2, 1, you find out that not only can prostitutes produce kings, apparently prostitutes themselves can be so transformed that they're worthy to be in the ancestry of the Son of God? How long will we sit back and say what we cannot do? How long will we work so hard to make ourselves victims? I know, we just sent Eric Holder to France to solve the Islamic problem. The mere sight of Eric Holder's policies will encourage an Islamic invasion in this country. But we could have sent Al Sharpton. He could at least divide France. Five loaves and two fish in Mark 6, 41. They feed thousands of people. And there's more left over than when we started. Let me ask you, does that make any sense in the natural? Can you, through empirical science, prove how that occurred? So then it must not have occurred. Or apparently things are possible for ordinary men to do when the mind of God is working in them. How much sense does it make for servants to become kings? But in Matthew 23, 11 through 12, that's exactly what happens. The, the greatest among you will serve the least. The least among you will be the greatest. In Matthew 6, 16 rather. In Matthew 16, you hear that in losing your life, you're actually living. In being a living sacrifice, you actually find an abundant life. Do these things make any sense to the ordinary mind? It must be that the men who wrote them, the men who lived them, and the men who did them were not operating in their minds. They were out of their minds. Or at least out of yours. We're full of faith because we believe someone else can do a miracle. We're full of faith because we believe if God wants it done, then it will be done. They did not live like that. And you can't live like that either. You know why? Times are darker, not lighter. The problems are bigger, not smaller. The increase of wickedness is happening all around us and instead we're self-consumed with who said what and how it made us feel. 
I love this church more than any other thing in my life. It's the product of God saving teenagers. And that, two teenagers that had some problems. This church is the product of God using ordinary men. And in this church, just looking out here today, how many babies are miracles? We've seen ribs grow where there were no ribs. We've seen liver tests done one hour and completely reverse themselves in the next hour. We've seen our children that are supposed to die live. And we've seen those who cannot have children have children. And that's just our baby miracles. Oh, come on, say a baby miracle. You know what's better than a baby miracle? A great, big, full-grown miracle. What could we do if we began to believe? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not mad at you. I'm trying to get your attention. And in trying to get your attention, you know, I have to stop somewhere short of being a clown and a jester with tools of homiletics. In trying to get your attention, I realize that your entire life you've been trained like me, that your job is to sit your salvation on that seat. That is not your job. Your job is to do the greater works of the living God. Your job is to be an actual ambassador with God's power of attorney wreaking havoc on hell. Your job is to bring the kingdom where it does not now exist. And when people say God forsaken, you say not when I showed up because I work for him. Your job is to plunder hell. To kick down its gates not sit on our salvation. So we're going to ordain. We're going to plant. We're going to teach. We're going to raise up. And if the adults won't do it, we're raising a generation of youth that will shake the planet. But should they have to start from nothing? Or should they learn to walk in our footsteps until their feet are bigger than our feet? Oh, Jesus, that we would set the right example, not in word, but in deed. Holy Spirit, would you open our mind to the possibilities? Lord God, would you show us the possible impossibilities? Now that you've prayed and asked God to open your mind, Let me go ahead and tell you the rest of the story. That's not even half of what is needed. Praying to be open to the possibility just makes you aware. What good is awareness if you don't act on it? What if when Paul Revere made his ride, the British are coming, the British are coming, everybody went, that's good to know. You'd be drinking tea instead of coffee right now. What if Winston Churchill warned the world and they didn't? Well, they didn't listen. And you saw what happened. What has to happen for evil to prevail, friends? You beginning to see why you were so important? 
So I just don't feel part of the church. I don't know how to plug in. I don't know what to do. If you knew your part, you would know how to plug in. It's not our job to define for you why God put you on the earth. I can lead you to the stream, but I am not going to hold your head under it till you drown or drink. I can tell you this, you wouldn't be here if he did not have a purpose for you. Why don't you try something? Why don't you get out of your seat and move and we'll tell you if you get it wrong and we'll all know when you get it right. Why don't you dare to do? Oh, we could just sit back and melt. We could just sit back and be confectionary Christians. Lollipops. But then what would happen to our children? Do you have time for another video? One that is not about goats. One that's about the unadulterated power of the living God that we preached about last Sunday. One that walks into an NICU, stares it in the face and says, do your worst, unplug the machine. One that has no plan of battle except to hear from the living God. What you're going to see are seven hands, seven ordinary hands. Some people said you could tell whose hands were whose. Apparently some of you have prettier hands. How did seven people show up? Seven people were listening. Said, well, pastor, I was listening and God didn't tell me to go. Amen. If you were listening and he told you to stay home and pray, then that's exactly where you needed to be. Said, Pastor, you told us do not come to the hospital unless you have been asked. That's true. And I asked a bunch of people. Said, Well, you didn't ask me. Well, there'll be more. Relax. There's plenty of miracles out there. How is it that seven men showed up? Because God ordained for them to show up. But can I ask you, would they have shown up if they did not believe? Your belief makes God's ordained plan possible. Are you hearing me? And yet believing that it should happen is not enough. Let's play that video. God, we thank you for this opportunity to glorify your name, Father God. Amen. Lord God, we cast our trust on you, Jesus. Yes. We thank you for bringing us this far, Father God, and continue to bring us the rest of the way. Yes, Jesus. Mighty God, we eagerly yes, await Jesus. what you are doing in her life, Father God. Yes, Jesus. We are full of joy and excitement to see your yes. mighty right hand work. <laughs> mighty God, we just love you and praise you, Father, for this opportunity. Amen. Thank you for giving us peace and joy in this difficult time, Father God. Yes, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We say, let life prevail. Now, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke you, infirmity. You will not stand in the presence of the sons of God. We take this baby from you. In the name of Jesus, our loving Father, heals. In the name of Jesus, Lord, you said, ask of anything of you. To ask the Father in your name. And so we ask by the character, the power, the authority of the Christ, which he's invested in us. We say in the name of Jesus, be healed. Be healed. Heart be formed in the name of Jesus. Mind be formed in the name of Jesus. Life prevail in the name of Yes, yes. Holy Spirit move through her Yes. Put on your hands, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. 
Lord God, let her be a testimony for the nations to put their hope in you. Mighty God. <laughs> Stretch out. Stretch out, mighty one. Stretch out, mighty one, in the glory of the Lord. Is there anything more powerful than a father? who's been told this child is going to die when you unplug that machine, standing there saying, we are joyful, mighty God, that you've brought us to this place because your life is going to prevail. Is there anything more powerful than a man who is so freed from his natural mind that he believes the Word of God in the face of a machine telling him the heartbeat is about to stop? And he says... Do it anyway. How many people are glad that you were not on Mount Moriah with a knife over your son? How many people are glad when the long pass gets thrown to someone else? Because if you're in Christ, you want the bull. If you're in Christ, you want to score for the glory of God. If you're in Christ, you live for the moment that you get the chance to step up to the plate. If you are in Christ, you're more than open. You are begging for the chance. Too long our expectations have been too low. Well, we're so humble that we just hope somebody somewhere sees a miracle. Miracles don't happen that way. They don't happen that way. And I've seen plenty. They happen when you are so desperate that you will act no matter what the cost. A living sacrifice. I want to do something rarely done in this church. I'm going to put a King James scripture on the screen. Fear not. I intend to interpret it for you. Could we put Genesis 6 verse 16 on the screen? And that is in the NIV. There you go. A window shout. By the way, that that means that it it will be. (laughs) A window shout thou make to the ark. And in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Aren't you glad King Jimmy is not ruling the known world today? By the way, he was a monstrous human being if you ever study him, but I'm going to leave that alone. His little proclivities like refusing to bathe for an entire year, I'm sure you would all love to have him in your home. In Genesis 6, God tells Noah to put a window in the side of the ark. Interestingly enough, NIV says you just finish this to within 18 inches of the roof. And he said, which is it? Is it a, is it a window in the side of the ark or, or are we just leaving a part of the wall unfinished near the roof? And the answer, of course, is yes. The word sohar, which I think we can put on the screen for you as a picture. The word sohar, 6672 in your Strong's or whichever lexicon you're using that uses the strong system means a space for a window. 
It, it, in most cases in the Bible, actually refers to something that lets light in. And because it lets light in, it can also mean and usually means noon or midday or the brightest part of the day. There needed to be on the side of the ark an opening. The ark was open to things. Look at Genesis 8 with me. Say there when you were there. In Genesis 8... Starting in the sixth verse. Everybody please get there. I heard two of you there. If you don't want to go with me, you might be on the wrong flight, man. It's okay. I'm sure there's a flight out there for you somewhere. But if you're on this ship, then I, I, you're going to have to get with us. Or, or, or else why would you be on the flight? In Genesis 8, starting in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens have been closed. And the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The waters receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, is the seventh month usually an important month in the Bible? If you know somebody who is in the classes that we're teaching to ministers, ask them about the seventh month and the 17th day and the Paleo-Hebrew calendar versus the modern Hebrew calendar. And the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark. That is such an interesting thing. Would you be surprised to find out that that is not the word Sohar? God told him to make a window in the side of the ark. That was a Sohar, an opening of some kind. This word, and Steph put it on the screen for me, is cologne. He told him, you can make it bigger if you can. He told him to make an opening in the side of the ark, but when we come to the place where Noah is opening a window, it's a cologne. And it's a window as in one perforated. In the ancient world, we did not have glass. What you, what you had to do if you had an opening in something was you needed some kind of lattice work to function as a barrier between you and the outside world. After 40 days, Noah opened the cologne he had made in the ark and he sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there the water, there was water all over the surface of the earth. So Noah returned to I'm sorry. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. The ark was open. It had a sohar in it. That let in air. It let in light. But you could not find the release 
of the dove until he opened the cologne. Being open to the moving of the Holy Spirit is not the same as throwing open all barriers against the moving of the Holy Spirit. This kind of passage could remind you of something. Could you go to Matthew 21 in verse 12? What were the barriers to the moving of God in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry? In John 2, Jesus shows up in the temple. In Matthew 21, Jesus shows up in the temple. And in Matthew 21, 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Do you think they were only selling doves? In fact, when you compare to other parallel passages, are they only selling doves? They were selling anything that you needed in the Levitical system. Why mention that the tables had doves on them? And how do you keep a dove on a table? Uh, Is dove singular or plural here? Plural. So I guess they all, there, there were 75 doves and they all had little lanyards to their feet, right? And every time there was a stirring, it looked like a dove tree. How do you keep a dove on a table? You have to put a wooden lattice work over it. You have to cage it. So then you can have the Holy Spirit in the temple of God, its representative, and yet it be caged. This is an accurate picture of where the church is very often today. We say we're so hard. We're open. We're open to anything God would want to do, but we've not thrown open the cage. We're not willing to take the action necessary to produce flight. Instead, what we do is sit on our salvation in a place saying, if God wants it done, then then I imagine He'll do it because I'm open to it. What if God is instead saying, I want you to take actions to throw open the cage. Let my unlimited power flow through you. Well, let's see. That's not opening a cage. How many of you come forward to pray for the baptism in the Holy Ghost, but you refuse to speak? Well, you're not throwing open the cage. You want to be a victim of God's power, not a participant in God's power. How many of you come forward for healing expecting that you're going to go back the same way that you came up because you've done it many times before? That's not throwing it open. You know, sometimes what we see in healing ministries is absurd. But let's for a moment just give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Why might somebody tell you to stretch out an arm that was broken? Why might somebody tell you if you're in a wheelchair before you feel like you're healed to try to stand? Why might somebody be trying to get you to act? Could it be because we're myotonic in every way? Could those things be abused? Of course they can. Are we going to let the abuses cause us to throw the baby out with the bathwater? What can you do that would unleash God's power in your life. Well, I can assure you, sitting and doing nothing will never do that. 
Are you expecting him to move? Are you looking for an area every day? Or is the first thing that you do when you wake up is ask God to use you today to show his kingdom to the world? Are you content to watch Benny Hinn or somebody else with an equally brilliant hairstyle on TV? We can't elect our champions any longer. By the way, what happened when he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves? What's the next verse? It is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. It is robbing from God to sit in his house chosen by him, but caging his movements in your life. When they overturn these tables, verse 14 says what happens. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Why are we not seeing more healings? Perhaps we haven't overturned enough tables yet. Maybe we want our Christianity a little too dignified, a little too wrapped up, a little too lollipop-like. C.T. Studd could see it happening in the 1850s and he was concerned. He got to the place where he said, don't send me any more seminary graduates. They're neat little sausages tied up at both ends. I want somebody who will let his hands go with fury at the devil. Is it any wonder that the man's ministry transformed Africa? Well, we could sit back and cheer his work. We could build a monument to it. Or you could imitate it and do it yourself. The church continually uses the excuse that we're open to the moving of the Spirit. But in fact, myotonic dystrophy has kicked in and we faint before taking actual action. You know, this is a mixed metaphor because in the metaphor it's the Holy Spirit who is all bound up. The truth is you cannot bind up the Spirit of God. There's not a cage built that could hold him. There's not a temple that can house him. There are simply places he has chosen for his name to dwell. Psalm 91 says something that's beautiful. Go to 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Would you say that that's supposed to be you? I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Wouldn't you like to be the I in this sentence? Is that right? Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. What does a fowler do? Not a Brandon and Stephanie fowler, but a fowler. We have no ornithologist in the room. I, birds is not our thing. I get it. What does a fowler do? He catches birds. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. Are you a bird? What, what, what on earth could this mean? Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with whose feathers? The fowler wants to destroy God by binding you. Are you hearing me? In this story, God is the one who is like the dove. He is not caged. 
but it is as if he were caged when you, his chosen vessel, let restrictions overcome your life. He will save you from the fowler's snare. Fowlers aren't after human beings. Fowlers are after birds. Every attack that's ever happened to you. Every time you've ever been overcome with a thought you're not supposed to have. Every time you've clicked on something you should not click on. Every time you have cheated on your taxes. Every time you have done the things that sinners do. That was not about you at all. It was about putting a restriction on you trying to hurt God. If you weren't made in his image, the devil wouldn't care about you at all. But he hates him. And you're made in his image. If we're already made in his image, shouldn't we act like him? See, you were made to act like God. To do that, you need your mind transformed. Have your mind transformed, the spirit has to breathe on you. For the spirit to breathe upon you, you have to be more than open. You need to start throwing open doors. The Holy Spirit cannot actually be caged. He is in us. When we are caged, it's like being in the fowler's snare. When we throw open the window like Noah did, the dove is loose and what does he bring back? The anointing of God and a brand new world of opportunity. You know what the raven saw when he went out? Dead bodies everywhere. So he was content to stay out. He went from body to body. He never returned to Noah. The dove won't light on a dead body. Instead, he kept going back and forth from Noah to the brand new world, looking for any sign of life. And what was the sign of life? The anointing of God. You want to tell me what is possible in your life? What is possible if the anointing of God is there? Hear it. Feel it. Begin to dwell on it. Ask God to open your mind to it. Anointing means smeared with God. It means divinely enabled by God. If He is enabling you, what can you not do? And how could you be scared? So I know He's anointed me. I've read 1 John. I know His anointing dwells in me. Then how do we sit in silence? How do we sit in inaction? We can't. Have you ever prayed for a greater anointing? Have you ever asked God to fill you with His Spirit again? When I put the rest of you to sleep, I can't talk any louder. I can't be any more animated. So I'm asking you, you in the back corner of this room, have you ever asked God to fill you again? How about you over here in the back corner of this room? Have you asked God to fill you again? Then you better get moving. You have to move if you want Him to act upon you. You cannot sit inside the ark. What was once your salvation, when you sit inside of it, becomes your coffin. Listen to me. The ark was to get them through the judgment of God. Then they had to leave what had saved them and go conquer the new world. And they would do it as that dove paved the way, showing them the anointing of God. You want to hide in a church? You want to hide in the knowledge of salvation. What was meant to save you actually has become a self-built cage for you. 
We've caged the moving of God simply by clinging to what worked for us 20 years ago and never moving from it. We celebrate it. We build monuments to it. We spread churches all over the world with those names. But what about now? What about you? I sat in a Lutheran church and that would be great if Luther was alive, but Luther's done his work and he's gone. How many Lutherans do you know like Luther? How many Methodists do you know like John Wesley? The Assemblies of God was a brand new movement. And what has happened to it? I said, we might as well just make everybody mad. Spirit-filled. What does spirit-filled mean to you? Well, I'm spirit-filled because I felt a warm, fuzzy experience. I'm spirit-filled because I spoke in tongues. I'm spirit-filled. How do you know you're spirit-filled? Are you doing the works of God? Because the men that did the works of God were filled with the Spirit prior to doing them. In other words, the Spirit of God led them into greater works. How can we be spirit-filled and not do His works? You know, if you leave gas in a tank too long, it goes bad. I mean, it's still gasoline, but something happens to it. Those of you with generators, if you never drain that tank, if you don't put anything in it to preserve it, and you let it sit five or six years when the hurricane is upon you, it will not be for you what you need it to be. Why does it always take a hurricane to make us realize we need fresh fuel? The dove. In Genesis 8, the dove brings back the anointing. In Genesis 15, he is the uncut sign of the Abrahamic covenant. In Leviticus 5, when you could not afford the price of the lamb, the cross of Christ was beyond your reach. The dove brought you to redemption. In Luke 12, when you could not redeem your children... You did not have the money for the lamb, just like Mary did not have the money for a lamb. A dove would redeem your children. The dove was something everyone could afford. In Psalm 55, the wings of a dove cause you to escape death. In Psalm 68, the silvery wings of the dove remind you that victories come through our God. And in John 1.32, we saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove and remain. If you have the Spirit of God in you, then you do the works that Jesus did. Amen. Oh, church, do you want to be Spirit-filled? How can we sit back and say we're open while we do nothing? You're not open as long as there's barriers between you and the work you're supposed to be doing. Have you noticed how uninhibited drunk people are? I've spent a lot of time around drunk people. Praise God, it's been many years since I was drunk. Drunk people lose those sensitivities. I had a drunk relative recently hit on Darnell right in front of Steve. Wasn't worried about it at all. I know the man. He's not a warrior. Watch drunk people just move without concern or care for anything except what they want because they're drunk. 
Oh, that you could get drunk in the Holy Ghost and be moved only with the concerns of God. Lose all of those inhibitions. Throw caution to the wind. These are not drunk as you suppose the writings say. These are not drunk in the way that you think they're drunk. They're just acting boldly. They're not full of liquid courage. They're full of spiritual courage. The church of God has got a heroism deficit. It's largely my fault. It's largely the fault of the pastorate. We have taught people that your service is to God is to listen to us. As grueling as it may be to have to listen to us, it does nothing for God for you to listen to us. Our service to God is what we are doing out there. Would you have to back up to get your heavenly inheritance of a paycheck? Hang your head in shame? Are you doing the works of the Father? I'm going to tell you, I'm ashamed. I've not done nearly enough. I feel a a debt. I actually know that I have caged the moving of the Holy Spirit in my life. It happens like this. I expect a prophecy in the third song, but not really in the first. I expect salvations at a certain point in the worship or after the service. I expect God to move in this building, but I forget when I'm in Walmart, He's with me. I've caged His movings in so many ways. Sometimes if you tell me what you're affiliated with, I decide God can't move through you as soon as you tell me who you're affiliated with. Not realizing that God's bigger than all of that. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by what you've just told me you send in, I think there's really nothing God's going to do. I've caged him in so many ways. Of course, he's not really caged. What, what am I doing? I'm building a prison of my own. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 23. If you're ready for this to be over, get over yourself. In 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 4. Once again... David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Say, save the people of Keilah. Is it a good thing to be in the Philistine killing business? Definitely at that time it was. Still spiritually true. Now Abathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah and he said, God has handed him over to me for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up on his battle forces. Forces for battle, I'm sorry. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abathar the priest, Bring the ephod, David said. O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will. 
Again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. We are hanging out in Keilah. And Keilah was yesterday's victory. Keilah is, I went and I beat the Philistines there and people were saved there. But when we camp on a previous victory, it's just like staying in the ark. That victory was to carry you into a whole new world of victories. Why are we always looking to rest on our laurels? Why are we always looking to coast? I know why. It's because our minds have not been renewed. But if we renew our minds, then you know what you see when you defeat the Philistines at Keilah and see the town saved? You say, I did it here in the name of the living God. I will do it in the next town and the town after that and the town after that. This is why Jesus didn't retire after his first miracle. It's why the apostles didn't retire when they saw success. They didn't go hide in a cave and write books to sell to the masses. Church, there is so much work to be done. You know what? It touches our lives when it's us. Is somebody else's baby any less important to God than, say, Riley? Than Levi? Is somebody else's baby any less important than precious Sarah? Any less important than Eliana? Why do we mobilize when it's Eliana? Because we love the Clements and we love Eliana and we love the Lord. Maybe we need our minds opened so that we can love that person we ran into in Walmart. Maybe the cage that we live in is not just successes of the past but the indifference that we feel now towards need because after all we did good things in Keilah I mean we survived the flood if I hear one more time I'm just happy to be saved you forget why you were saved what if Noah was just happy to have survived the flood what if Ham, Shem and Japheth said good thing we got on this boat now it's a monument to the great deeds we did Where would you be? You wouldn't be. Don't stay in the ark. Let's move on in battle. Let's grab the next victory. And I'm going to assure you that it will look impossible. God's not asked us to do anything yet that didn't look impossible. This week, the one association is going to take new form. This week, we're going to open our minds to the possibility and take action on what the Lord shows us that our futures might still yet be in design instead of resting on what God has already done. There is an attitude that I wish to convey to you and I've given you an awful lot of my attitude today. How many of you like Elisha? Oh, man, I love Elisha. We prayed for seven hours beside Eliana's bed. And for every hour, we announced a scripture. And then we got to go home. Her parents stayed. 
In fact, one parent is still there now. They take it in tag teams so that Eliana is never without a prayer warrior standing beside her. God's not looking for one good service out of you. He's not looking for one moment of valor out of you. In 2 Kings 13, verse 14 is a good one. Now Elijah was suffering from illness from which he died. How could that be a good verse? Because we find out what his dying attitude was. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elijah said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elijah put it in his hands, put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over a ram, Elijah declared. You will completely destroy the Armenians at Aphek. Is that good news? It required him to not only pick up a bow, it required him to fire it. Not believe it needs to be done, but actually do it. If being so hard, being open to the moving of the Lord is not enough, if it requires action, throwing open the calon, it may not just require one action. Verse 18. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elijah told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elijah died and was buried. The old man's last breath was one message. Hit the enemy. Hit the enemy. Hit the enemy. Hit the enemy. I don't know how many times it takes, but I'm going to do it as many times as the last breath in my life. And unfortunately, the one in charge of Israel at the time wanted to go just far enough to go a respectable distance in his peers' eyes. Oh, church, this morning, I've spoken to you about so many things that your eyes would be opened, that you wouldn't just stop with being aware and open, that you'd be moved to action, not just one action, but many actions. You don't just shoot the arrow, you beat the arrow on the ground. Not just many actions, but repeating them until the last breath of your life. Can we say that we don't need to hear this message? Can you say, you know, Pastor, I, I, I love your church. I, I get that you're excited about it. But to be honest, that one just kind of slipped right by me because, you know, I'm, I'm good in these categories. You know what we usually do? We say, man, our church is fired up. I love our little church, especially when compared to those guys. Those guys are not the standard. I want to close with a blessing. And then we're going to worship. I'm going to tell you the truth. You cannot have this blessing without breaking bars. I'm going to read you the blessing because I want you to know what's on the other side of the bars. 
I'm going to read you the blessing because I want you to know what you can have in the hopes that I will motivate you in some way to go get what you can have. The danger in reading the blessing before you've done it, though, is many will invoke the blessing on themselves even though they persist in going their own way. The book of Deuteronomy says he'll never forgive someone who does that. The blessing comes from Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Say showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit. And the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those that have enslaved them. Do you want showers of blessing? Do you want the harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold? Then you have to let God break those bars. So you don't understand, I can see through them. You don't understand, I'm doing just fine in here. Just me, myself, and I. God saved you just like he saved Noah in the ark because he wanted the world seated with his goodness. It was never just about Noah and his family. It was about us. And it's not just about us. It's about everyone else. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them. wonder what the problem is. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be Let that sink in just a minute. A famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pastor, are people and I am your God declares the sovereign Lord. God says, come out of the ark, throw open the window, uncage the spirit and do his deeds. Do you know, he's saying this to Ezekiel and we have a Babylonian captivity. The land of Israel is today renowned for its crops. But I don't think we've seen what we can see. You know, he didn't say this to Ezekiel first. Leviticus 26. Don't turn there. Just listen to me. Verse 9. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and will increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. 
I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. How is it that we have that promise when the nation is founded and they end up in captivity and have to hear the promise again? Because we're a whole lot better at hearing and acknowledging than actually doing. You want to know what causes a man to walk with his head held high? When you've attempted the impossible for God and you've seen it happen. When that happens in your life, you won't care about any other thing. Stop celebrating someone else's victory. Be glad with them. And be envious to the point that you say, Coach, I want the ball. Please give me a chance. Lord, would you count me worthy of praying for somebody today? Could you stand to your feet?